This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Everything Rich, Tom and myself have been up to on Flag Day, Friday, November the 3rd. That includes having a look at the Sam Bankman Freed trial, which went an awful lot quicker than anyone expected. Meanwhile, we've had a load of breaking news this morning. We've got the UAE PMI numbers coming in at a four-year high, and we've got the Dubai property market hitting the highs of the last cycle officially. Jean Jahenki sent me a message last night to say, I have got some numbers for you. He broke the news on our show this morning. Jean Jahenki is the CEO of Property Monitor and Director of Market Intelligence and Research at Cavendish Maxwell. He goes through the maths for us here. Meanwhile, Rich has been down in Abu Dhabi listening to Sachin Nadella, who's the chairman and CEO of Microsoft. And speaking of tech, we have been talking to the region's latest unicorn. Unicorn and a half, technically. The one and a half billion dollar company, Tabby. Top stories this morning, business stories, both of them breaking overnight in the United States. We've got Apple earnings, world's biggest company. But I'm going to start... With SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried woke up to the news this morning that he is guilty on all fraud charges. This relates to the collapse of his FTX crypto exchange. Tom, Brandy and I were chatting earlier. No one in the studio loves a good trial podcast more than you. You are something of an authority. If you're a mastermind, Elizabeth Holmes and the collapse of Theranos would be your chosen specialised subject. And this is of a similar ilk, is it not? Yeah, but Brandy and I were talking about this yesterday. Um, we're both like, a, 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 I suppose it's a true crime uh, podcast, but we do like a, a, a sort of ongoing legal case uh, a podcast. And you're right, the Theranos one and Elizabeth Holmes was a perfect example. Um, and then obviously you get to watch the follow-on Netflix series or Hulu series, and there's a film made about it as well, which we'll get with the SBF FDX uh, mess or hot mess. I'll tell you what I said to Brandy yesterday, which was I thought this was going to go on for a lot longer. And I was of the opinion that this was going to be one of those trials that just went on and on and on and on. And given that I didn't have a huge amount of time on my hands, I thought if I buy into this now... This is a three-year commitment or whatever. <laughs> the fact that it, the fact that the trial has been done and dusted in about three weeks, fifteen days, it literally is is it, it could be it, it could not be more. If you wanted evidence of a, a, a closed case, there you got fifteen days for one of the biggest frauds in, in what finance or whatever biggest frauds in the world. It's just he's just banged to rights, isn't he? And what's and what's remarkable about it isn't just. So it's 15 days. As you say, it's almost two fraud trials because it's FTX and then there's Almeida as well. So yeah. there's sort of the customers from two companies that um, have have been affected here. It's a jury trial. So <laughs> they that's needed, the what, other thing. 30 minutes to decide. <laughs> Five hours. Done. <laughs> there's no on day three. They asked to see this piece of evidence again. Five hours, jury is done. That is also really rare. What was the phrase? The jury has been sent home for the night because they could not reach a verdict. Yeah. None of that. And it's in a relatively new, complicated area of finance. So you would think if there was anything where people would be listening to experts and trying to get their head around it and not quite getting their head around it, it would be this one, but no. It's just, yeah, it's it's really surprised me, this. I thought it would go on for a lot longer. Uh, and you're right. I mean, the jury thing is perfect. I mean, I don't, I've don't. i done jury service. I'm, I'm, Have I'm, you? Yeah, yeah. No way. What about? 
Are we allowed to say or not? Yeah, you are. You sure? Must be a statute of limitations. When was it? It was when I was at university. Yeah, go for it. Um, I, I was. I was. Yeah, it was one of those cut and dry cases. It was. There was. It. A bloke stabbed a bloke in a bar, and it was done for. I can't remember what it was. No, um, can't remember the sentences either, etc. But it was always. It was in the high court in the middle of London, up in St James, and things like that. Um, but one of the things you do is that you're on jury service. You know, I had been given a reason not to go to lectures. <laughs> you know, I had my piece of paper. There's nothing they could say about that. So you sort of drag the case out a little bit. You certainly drag out jury decision, that's for sure. You know, you're getting paid, not a huge amount, but you're getting expenses, you're getting fed. Um, and as a, as a, as a, a, a skint student, I wasn't, you know, I was, I was on, the, on the fence on this one. And everyone was like, what do you mean? Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's Someone's entire life is hanging in the balance because <laughs> Tom's getting 20 quid a day and a couple Another of muffins. pepperoni, please. <laughs> uh, but it, it's just... It, but look, that was a tiny thing many, many years ago. You look at this international thing. I, I'm, I'm in the wrong here. I should have been listening to the podcast because basically I could have done it in half a day. Well, the issue of the speed of the trial was addressed... That's two commutes for you, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was addressed on the courtroom steps by Damien Williams, who's the Attorney General of the Southern District of New York. And he's the guy who leads prosecutions against financial fraudsters, whether it's a hedge fund manager or a crypto exchange owner like SBF. And he's a bit of a character, is Damien. He likes the sound of his own voice and he likes a bit of grandstanding. This is him on the steps of the court yesterday, addressing the issue of the speed with which they brought this prosecution and this case to a conclusion and a warning to others. Damien Williams. This case moved at lightning speed. That was not a coincidence. That was a choice. And it's also a message. It's a warning, this case, to every single fraudster out there who thinks that they're untouchable or that their crimes are too complex for us to catch or that they're too powerful for us to prosecute or that they could try to talk their way out of it when they get caught. Those folks should think again and cut it out. And if they don't, I promise we'll have enough handcuffs for all of them. He's brilliant, Damien Williams. Yeah. He's sitting there thinking, who's going to play me in the Netflix special? Because he, he is playing, if you've watched the series Billions, which is about exactly the same thing. It's about the Attorney General of the Southern District of New York. It's basically Manhattan, uh, who prosecutes financial fraud. And it's Paul Giamatti who plays yeah. the guy. Paul Giamatti's good. He's not that good. Yeah. Like he's imitating. like a sort of modern day sheriff, isn't he? <laughs> he really Gotta is. round him up. I'm just looking at him. Who is going to play him? Because he's thought about the speech, hasn't he? Every word and every subtle nuance of delivery. Maybe he thinks, oh, I'll play myself. You don't need to bring him in. This is fine. That's not I'm young. Because he is young, isn't he? How old is he? 43. Yeah. Young, good looking, charismatic. He, this, he, he is uh, presidential campaign 2036 or whatever it is. That's, that's the prize he's got his eye on. Remember the name, Damien Williams. But what, what's next in this? Obviously, he's going to appeal, isn't he? So there's going to be an appeal process uh, and sentencing takes place later on. Is that right? Yeah. And then there's another, there's a separate case as well for the hedge fund. So the, 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 
Don't worry, Tom. There's plenty of chapters left to be written in this. There's, a, there's another season coming, isn't there? <laughs> Absolutely. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Where we're continuing the property conversation this morning, but switching our attention to the intention, even to the residential market. Uh, got a message from Jean Jahinki, the CEO of Property Manager and the Director of Market Intelligence and Research at Cavendish Maxwell. He's the man who does the maths saying, Brandy, I've just finished processing and and, and crunching the numbers on our monthly index. And I've got a bit of news. We have hit a very important point. I'm not going to steal his thunder. Morning, Jean. Good morning, Brandy. How are you guys? I'm good. I'm good. So you had the calculator out and what did you discover? Crunching our numbers, we actually did them a couple of times just to make sure, and uh, we can announce that we have now hit the peak of the previous market cycle. We're at the exact same level, 1,234 dirhams per square foot. When was the last market peak, Jean? Nine years ago, 109 months if we want to go back, September 2014, um, and we reached that after a 24-month growth period. Um, Market went up about 37.25% during that period. Um, and that, that, that growth stage only lasted 24 months. Uh, if we contrast that to this cycle, um, we now mark 36 months in the growth cycle. Um, we've appreciated at a bit of a slower rate month on month. So we're up about 42% from the very bottom of the market, but now coming equal to that all-time high. And going forward, um, we are likely going to surpass that uh, and keep the market running. What's different this time and what's the same? So if we look at what happened last time, the market kind of, it, w- it was appreciating. 2013 was a really good year. Going into 2014, there were some, uh, some things brought in, regulations brought in to slow the market, to stop it rapidly appreciating and entering bubble territory. So what we saw happen previously was registration fees, that 2% doubled to 4% by the DOD, and we had mortgage caps come in, limiting LTVs to 75% or 80%, depending if you're a UAE national or, or an expatriate. So those came in the market and potentially artificially put the brakes on. That previous market cycle that only lasted 24 months, in all likelihood, could have kept going. What do we have this time? We've got a very buoyant market. Uh, it's, transactions are significantly higher than they were previously. Um, monthly transactions in the previous market peak, we're looking at 4,200 transactions per month. We're looking at 9,500 transactions per month. That's a 12-month rolling average. Um, and we've also got significantly more population. We're about 2.3 million in population last time around. This time we're at 3.6 million. And that population is steadily growing and driving demand. Do you think we'll see any intervention, any new regulations this time? Would you like to see it? Um, I don't think to the same extent as last time. Um, my big concern is what tips every market over at some point, if there's not intervention, is excessive supplier or supply demand imbalance. Um, one of the things that we don't want to see is a whole lot of speculative activity either. Um, so what I, I think would, and some developers are doing this already, is they're limiting when a purchaser of an off-plan property can resell that property. EMI increased theirs to having to have at least 50% paid, um, and other developers are all around the 30 35%, one or two or 40%. As long as developers self-regulate like that and we don't see off-plan resales or speculative activity run out of control, we're fine. If it were increasing rapidly, government intervention could potentially help the market. So you think that this rally has still got more time to, to run. How long's a piece of string, Jean? How much more? <laughs> the crystal ball, I wish I had it. Um, 
there, we aren't seeing any factors that can contribute right now to a market slowdown or the market stopping. Um, absent any massive global event, um, the market seems to have more legs to it. Demands there. And you have to look, it's two markets as well. And John did a good job talking about this yesterday. There's the ready market, the completed market, um, where you've got properties that are ready for immediate occupancy. That market has largely started to reach its peak. So villas and townhouses, you've seen price growth really slow there. There's still lots of activity, but you're not seeing the month-on-month -month price increase as you were before. Apartments, there's still room and they're growing. The off-plan market, on the other hand, so many new launches are coming and they're being absorbed. In September, we had about 10,000 new units come to market. Um, and that brings the total number for those first three quarters of the year up to about 65,000 units in just three quarters. The previous year, we're at 53,000 for the year. So you've seen both of these rapid launches, lots of absorption coming in. What's really going to be telling going forward is what products keep coming to market. We're tracking about another 103 projects um, that are in the planning stage. Um, still haven't worked at the exact amount of units there. That's going to be the big telling thing. When they come to market, will they continue to be absorbed and at what prices? Will they? It's a good question. I mean, the demand, I, I honestly didn't think we'd have this level of demand. We're talking about transaction volumes on a monthly basis at 10,000 at this point into the year, um, but it, it's happening. If population growth keeps going, if interest in Dubai keeps going, potentially yes. Staying at 10,000 per month, I, it's a stretch, given that pre-COVID, pre we're probably looking at an average of three and a half thousand transactions, 4,000 transactions a month. Oh, we've spoken to Lewis Allsop before, and he has said to us, when people ask, you know, when's the bubble going to burst, whatever, they're getting it wrong, because he says this is not, and I'm paraphrasing here, Lewis, so apologies if I, if I get it slightly wrong, not to put words in your mouth, but he's basically said to us, this isn't actually a real estate story, what it is is a population story, and the only thing that's going to stop it is the, the population growth, either, you know, slowing or, or decreasing. Is he right? He's not wrong. I think he is right. So it's supply demand. That's the demand factor. If you can keep population going. And I think Lewis has touched on it before and John touched on it. The stability in the market is end users, not investors. It's end users occupying those properties. And that's population. If we can keep that population growth happening, um, then you'll see this, this supply be absorbed. Right now, though, we've probably seen population growth is just under 3%, I think, the last 12 months. New inventory coming to the market is probably at 10%. Now, they're not going to hand over and be ready for three, four, five years, but we need to see that population keep going so when those handovers come, that they can be absorbed in the ready market. Ajahn Jahinki, CEO of Property Monitor, Director of Market Intelligence and Research at Cavendish Maxwell, on the line this morning telling us that the Dubai property market has now officially met the, met the high of the previous market cycle. Thank you for your time. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Speaking of growth, the region has another unicorn. The Buy Now Play Later platform Tabby, valued at more than $1.5 billion after a new funding round. We're very pleased to be joined now by Hossam Arab, who's the co-founder and CEO of Tabby. Hossam, you're a unicorn and a half, really. Tell us about this latest round of funding. Where's the money come from? Um, so uh, we've seen uh, some pretty uh, strong growth over the last uh, year or so, um, which has brought with it uh, a lot of interest from international investors that have exposure to the space, um, see the value in the space, however, have seen some of our global peers struggle with making the uh, product or uh, the space profitable. I think what differentiates our market is just a, the fact that uh, credit penetration 
is generally very low. And therefore, consumers have very little in terms of choice, giving us an opportunity to grow um, our ability to provide credit to consumers and a consumer that is generally very high in terms of quality on the credit side. The fact that they are not um, getting access to easy credit as they would in some of the more mature markets makes this customer a lot more credit worthy. Um, uh, given that they are not overstretched, they don't have multiple sources of credit, and therefore they value the few sources of credit that they have access to. Well, speaking of difficulty of access to money, I mean, I was speaking to another founder last night um, who's just actually secured some investment as well, and he was saying that it is so much harder to do so at the moment. How did you find this round compared to others? So, uh, again, I think where um, investors are focused these days is on profitability. Um, And so it is no more growth at any cost, uh, which was the case for the last four or five years uh, prior to uh, late 2021. Um, And therefore, I think once investors see quality, they're uh, much more interested, they're much more engaged. I think a lot of investors are otherwise just shopping around, understanding deals, understanding what companies are doing without really being too keen on placing bets on companies before they see at least that path to profitability. So growth is just no longer the name of the game. Did you notice any difference, though, whether it was slower going with this round of funding, whether people wanted different information? Did you notice any change even in tone from this funding winter? Um, I think where we saw the toughest market was in 2022. It was a lot more difficult than I think we, we were at. At the bottom at that point in time, it was a knife that was falling and investors just didn't know uh, how low that knife would fall. I think the difference this time around is I think people understand where the peak is. Um, if we're not at the peak, then we're very, very close to it. Um, and therefore, at least there there is comfort uh, with placing these bets uh, with a foresee- with some sort of uh, um, you know outlook to the future uh, being more positive than where we are today. Will the unicorn status make it different for you now, easier, do you think? Do people treat you differently once you've you've passed that billion dollar mark? Now listen, I think I think I think people will answer our calls a lot more easily. Uh, I think what we're hoping for is that things don't change internally. Uh, one of the message that we sent to our team is is this should not change things for us. We should not become complacent. We should not treat ourselves differently. It is really a uh, status symbol that you know, the, uh, the media, the market uh, places on companies. However, for us, it really is uh, the early innings of what we believe is a much longer journey. Okay, well, let's talk about that journey. What will this money allow you to do? Uh, where we would like to invest this money in the, and the plan is to invest in broadening our product set for consumers. Uh, today, or up until recently, we were only a single product company. We only provided uh, buy now, pay later solutions at checkout on merchants. More recently, we launched our, our uh, consumer card and we launched a shopping platform uh, to allow our merchants to benefit from the large customer base that we have. Uh, but really building on from being a single platform, single product company to a multi-product company is quite the investment that we need to make. Um, and uh, we see a huge opportunity around um, broader financial services uh, for our consumers. What kind of financial services? 
So early on, again, really investing our card product. Uh, today, our card is available for our customers in the UAE only. We are looking to launch that in Saudi. Um, it is a card that only works within a small set of merchants. We're looking at broadening uh, that presence uh, to allow that card to be available everywhere for our customers and not just within uh, our merchant partners. Um, beyond that, our customers are looking for savings products. Our customers are looking for ways to invest their money. Uh, and so these, uh, that's the direction that we see ourselves headed in is, is uh, you know, I think people like to refer to super apps uh, in many ways. We like to refer to a potential financial services super app uh, that provides the, our customers with convenience in how they spend and save their money. I've described you as a regional unicorn because we think of you as being Dubai-born. Um, but of course, you have got your upcoming IPO that is going to be the Tadawal in Saudi Arabia, moving to the kingdom ahead of that listening. Why have you made that decision? Saudi for us is uh, by far the larger market. It is where we have about uh, 80% of our volume comes from Saudi. So it is a much more natural home for a company that um, has that much presence in, in the kingdom. Um, and therefore, we just wanted to be closer to our biggest customer base, to be, all, uh, to be honest. Uh, the UAE remains a very, very important market uh, that we will continue to invest in. Um, however, uh, we believe just given the size of the opportunity in Saudi, it just makes a lot more sense uh, to place our uh, a lot more presence over there. 30 seconds left with you. What can you tell me about the IPO, your plans, dates, size, etc.? Yeah, so uh, early days, however, you know, we've set our eyes on it. Uh, we've started discussions with multiple potential partners on the IPO. Um, you know, it's uh, likely to be a timed around the 2025 timeframe is where we would see it. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hossam Arab is the co-founder and CEO of Tabby, uh, the region's latest tech unicorn, raising more money to a valuation now of $1.5 billion. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Big focus on AI around the world yesterday. Elon Musk was at the big summit that Serena just mentioned in just outside London. The Bletchley Declaration being signed by many participants from government and business. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella was not there. Instead, he was in Abu Dhabi in the UAE. So I went down there to listen to what he had to say. The name of the summit was AI, a new era. So you can guess what the big focus was. And Satya Nadella, a little bit later on, he talks in detail about the UAE and its role in this. But he began by looking bigger picture about artificial intelligence. And he was very excited because this week, as we've discussed, he launched Copilot, which is his AI assistant for... Microsoft 365, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and so on, launched the day before the summit on Wednesday. So he began by talking about that and the potential, the positive potential of AI. When I talk about economic impact of AI, we're seeing it. I talked about the, taking the most elite knowledge work that is software development and seeing concretely that you can improve productivity by 50%, that even with the early data, of Copilot for Microsoft 365 is showing that any task, knowledge task, is getting done 37, you know, 37% or so faster. And by the way, the other thing that I am most thankful for is it's brought joy back to software development. We had taken out all the fun of software development uh, and now we're bringing it back. You can stay in the flow, you can stay in your IDE, you can get your task done. And I tell you, there's nothing more beautiful and enjoyable than writing some code. 
Nothing more beautiful or enjoyable than writing some code, Satya. I could probably think of a couple of things, but we'll leave that for another day. Meanwhile, he looked at the potential dark side of AI. This AI age with all the excitement, with all the forward-leaning vigor, uh, which I think is important. But we also have to be mindful that in any new technology paradigm that we can, in fact, be very thoughtful to think about all the unintended consequences from day one versus sort of coming back to it. So we really are taking everything across safety as a very first class uh, imperative. Uh, and so that's really ultimately uh, our promise in terms of how you can get the benefits of AI without facing any of the unintended consequences. So much for the global AI narrative, Satya actually spent a lot of his time on the local UAE story, and it sounds like he's a bit of a fanboy. Uh, the UAE, we are very, very excited about uh, our footprint in the UAE, uh, both in Abu Dhabi and in Dubai. By the way, the interesting thing is developers from UAE wanted not just in the UAE, but they also wanted it in, uh, in all the European regions because they already have customers uh, for products you're building here uh, all over the world, and it's fantastic to see that. He then rattled off numerous examples of UAE companies that are actually embracing AI. Clearly, he'd done his homework. I saw the Emirates uh, use of Azure OpenAI. It's also sort of well-architected, this platform approach. They provision an Azure OpenAI landing zone. On top of that, they have thousands of use cases, everything from check-in to sort of self-service bots all being built. Uh, I had a chance to see what the Department of Health is doing. Uh, in fact, uh, Majid Al-Futim, is, uh, which is a conglomerate here, is also using uh, Azure AI. In fact, they're using the data platform. What was fantastic to see was their real focus on getting their data house in order, uh, because I think that that sets up very well for them to be able to exploit the AI age uh, where, you know, in, a, in a tremendous fashion. But his highest praise was reserved for the Abu Dhabi tech firm G42, in particular Jace. Now that's what's described as the world's most advanced Arabic large language model. In layman's terms, for me, it's like an Arabic version of Microsoft's ChatGPT. It's just unbelievable to see, first of all, to have one of the best front, you know, models in open source being developed right here in the region. But not just that, but taking what is an underserved aspect, which is the representation of the Arabic language in some of these pre-trained models, uh, including ours uh, with OpenAI. Uh, for, so for us to have the ability to support uh, Jace and their work that they're doing to bring about uh, all of the Arabic knowledge uh, which then will be available not only to all the people who speak Arabic, but to the, for the world. Um, and I think that this is such, such an important uh, effort, which an uh, exciting effort, and we are very, very thrilled to be partnered with them, and really thrilled to see even uh, the diffusion, and the fact that this is technology that is getting built right here. Perhaps no surprise to learn that Microsoft is a close partner of G42 on Jace and many other projects. So, to wrap things up, Satya had a sat-down chat with his counterpart at G42, the Chinese-American tech leader Peng Jiao. Now, it's not exactly hard talk, more cosy fireside catch-up, but there was a lot to learn, and Satya kicked things off. And I thought, Peng, maybe we can start. Maybe you're telling a little more about what was the genesis, what was the inspiration for this project, but also broadly, 
What is top of mind for you at Group 42? At G42, we've been dedicated to the AI mission since 2017. As Sam Altman recently said, we were in AI before AI was cool. <laughs> now AI is quite fashionable, thanks to Microsoft. UE has functioned beautifully as UE Inc. It's really running like a business. There's a chairman, there's a CEO, the CTO. We work together to drive the country forward with efficiency. And if you look from UE Inc. perspective, we feel the biggest challenge, top of my mind right now, is can we now apply AI at the national level? Can we build an AI-driven national digital operating system that is a co-pilot of a government? So you mentioned many different use cases and exciting domains. Is there one, Satya, on your mind that is most exciting, most actionable? Yeah, to me, uh, the, the thing perhaps, that's why I was very excited to see what you're doing with education, right? Because, you know, yes. fundamentally, uh, the good news of this age is it in some sense democratizes expertise, right? In, in, in an, and, and you take this, in, and, and in this, for a country like UAE, you can now have all the expertise you need in order to achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve. I think it can be, a, it's, it's like an enlightenment moment to me. I mean, like what enlightenment did uh, in Western, I mean, in Europe, um, you know, you know, whatever, 300, 400 years ago, uh, I, think, I, I think we need that, in fact, quite frankly, across the world right now in order to adjust to AI. And then, of course, ultimately, it comes down to what gets you to build capability? Culture. So I, ultimately, I think you're having a culture which is not about being a know-it-all, but being a learn-it-all. Having that humility. I love that. Uh, right, to me, that I think is the end of the day. You want to have confidence, not hubris. Uh, you want to have the culture that is constantly pushing uh, and, uh, and to be the one who can build new capability that allows you to pursue new concepts. And then, and then a bit of luck is also helpful. That is Sachin Adela. He is the CEO of Microsoft, speaking yesterday in Abu Dhabi. Was he impressive? Yes. Very. He's wearing a suit and tie. He's a tech CEO. What's he doing? <laughs> yeah, where are the trainers? Where's the hoodie? Yeah, I guess Microsoft's the kind of tech company for grown-ups, is it? Grown up in the room? Yeah, if it was, the, if it was Snap, I don't think you'd have seen a bit of silk for love and the money. Um, but no, it was good in a very obviously slick presentation and very well done. The guys from G42 were good as well. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.